got to stay up there the whole time this morning. That was the first time, right? Awesome. Excited to see that. Excited to see our, our praise band growing. Well, mothers, I, I've said this years past. Uh, I'm all out of Mother's Day sermons. There's just a few in the Bible, honestly. And, and so when Mother's Day comes, uh, if, if I don't feel it, I just I don't do a Mother's Day sermon. And that's nothing personal. So don't take that personal. Uh, we're going to continue in our series this morning in, in the book of 1 Samuel. And uh, we are going to talk about the character of God. And, and so hopefully we can read this passage together and, and see God's character in it. That's my hope. Uh, what I do realize is that when you think about God, probably there's lots of things that, that come to your mind. And, and some of those are influenced by the Bible and some of them probably aren't. Uh, there's a book called Soul Searching. And the author of that book says a lot of, of evangelicals, which we are as Baptists, uh, have this view of God. And he uses a really smart phrase. Uh, and, and God to them is a, mor a moral therapeutic deism. That's the phrase he used. Moral as in, well, God just wants us to be good, right? Therapeutic as in, well, I just, you know, God to me is just someone that I, I go to when I need something. Gives me therapy in a sense, you know, to make me feel good. And, and deism is, is just this very generic view of God. So this God that really just cares whether or not we're following the rules. That is only kind of there to make us feel good. And it's kind of generic. He's not really involved in our lives for the most part. He's kind of absent, you know, but he's just kind of there. Kind of like the Santa Claus God, you know. And the author says most Americans, even Christians, kind of have this view of God that really is, is not biblical at all. And so often, even as Christians, we know the Bible should define God for us. But uh, we, we have this culture can influence as well. And we kind of see God in the way that our culture does sometimes if we allow ourselves to. Uh, and you can imagine, as, as we think about Mother's Day, if, if you know, if, if your child, if you're a mother, uh, said, you know, it's Mother's Day, but, you know, even though it's Mother's Day, I don't really want to see you or call you and make you really sad. You know, I, I hope you're still my mom. I hope you still do stuff for me. Uh, it wouldn't make you feel very good. You'd still be their mom, though, right? And God is the same way. He wants us to understand who he is. That he wants to have a relationship with us and he wants to be connected to us. Uh, but, but sometimes we fail to see that. I mentioned last week that, that when I preach, there's a couple, there's two sort of main guiding tensions that kind of influence how I preach and what I preach. And, and, and one of them is that I hope when I, when I give a sermon that, that it's understandable. That you kind of get what I'm trying to say. And that's why some Sundays, like I did today, I provide an outline. And if that helps you, follow it. If it doesn't, well, don't. That's just for you. And, and if it helps you to fill in the blanks, then do it. But I'm not going to check it. Uh, and, and I hope that you get sort of the main idea, whether you get all the points or not. There's four this morning, but we're not going to make the sermon longer, I don't think. So, so just bear with me. But that's the first principle. And the second one is that the sermon, to me, is something that has to be shaped by scripture, it can't just be a good thought that I had about God. It has to be centered on the Bible. And so those two guiding principles guide what I preach and how I preach. Uh, but the deal is, maybe you've noticed, the Bible doesn't talk about some things, you know. And so in a way, it kind of limits what I preach. And it limits, as we think about God's character, what we know about God. You know, there's some things that the Bible just doesn't tell us. You ever had a child ask you, well, when did God make the dinosaurs? 
Hmm? What adult does not try to fill that question? Well, we don't really know. You know, we assume that he did at some point, uh, but but that's the Bible's not concerned with answering that question. Are you reading Genesis in the beginning, right? Well, what happened before the beginning? There had to be something. The Bible says there was God, but we don't really know. That's the short answer. The Bible is not the Bible's not made to answer all our questions. And so I have a, a professor and a mentor that the men have been kind of studying alongside of on Wednesday nights. And he says when, when we come to address questions from the Bible, the, the question that you have to ask is not, why is something not there? It, it's just the opposite. It's of all the things the Bible could talk about, all the things that it addresses, why is it addressing this? Why does it say this instead of something else? That's the question you have to ask. And so this morning we're in 1 Samuel chapter 5. And we have to ask as we think about the character of God and we begin, we continue in our, our story in First Samuel, why it talks about what it does. It talks about right after the Ark of the Covenant that we talked about last week that embodied God's presence that for, for God's people was captured. And it's going to talk about what, hap- what happens as the Philistines try and figure out what to do with this thing. And they sort of have a game of, remember the game hot potato that, that children play? They kind of pass it around. They don't know what to do with it. And all these things keep happening with it. And they keep passing it around. And we have to ask the question, why does, why does God decide to tell us this? About these people, about these Philistines who really, when it comes down to it, the Bible's not about them. It's about God's people. It's about what God was doing in them and through them. Why does the Bible talk about these people? And, and I think the bottom line is, is it's, it's about God's character. Read with me 1 Samuel chapter 5. Text will be on your screen. and uh, Of course, it's in your, in your Bible if you want to read it there. After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it before Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon falling on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why to this day neither the priests of Dagon nor any others who enter Dagon's temple at Ashdod step on the threshold. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation on them and affected them with tumors. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us, because his hand is heavy on us and on on Dagon, our God. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Have the ark of God of Israel moved to Gath? So they moved the ark of the God of Israel. But after they had moved it, the Lord's, the Lord's hand was against that city, throwing it into a great panic. He afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. As the ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought the ark of the God of Israel around to us to kill us and our people. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and said, Send the ark of the God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place, or it will kill us and our people. For death had filled the city with panic. God's hand was very heavy on it. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. 
So what does this say about God's character? Why, why is it in there? I think there's, there's four things, obviously, in your notes, I think, that we can get from the character of God. And three of them are from this passage. And then I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to have to go to the New Testament for the fourth one. Okay, I don't usually do that, but I think we have to to get a complete picture. And I think the first one is that, that God's character, when we, we read this passage, we see that it's not dependent on who we are as people. That should give you a sigh of relief that who God is is not dependent on who you are. I think one of the most revealing statements that the Bible gives us about who God is is who he reveals himself to be to Moses. You remember that story with the burning bush? And, and Moses says, tell me, tell me your name. And, and he says uh, this phrase that's translated in Scripture to I am who I am or also translated I, I will be who I will be. And to us, that sounds almost like this really generic expression of God. What does that even mean? Well, all the gods that the Hebrews knew from other nations and other places had some type of identification with, with, a, with a thing. They were a god of something or, or they had a name. And, and, and that's how they identified who they were by this very narrow thing. And, but God refuses to sort of pigeonhole himself. He's not going to say, I'm the god of just this one thing. He says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And he will be that regardless of who his people are. I think that's inherent in that phrase. And so Ashdod, this first city where they took the ark, was one of the chief Philistine cities. It's about 30 miles from those battles we read about last week. And, and as, it, as it goes into Ashdod, this, this, this city that probably they, they thought, well, we're gonna, we've stolen the Ark of the Covenant. That represents to them it was just like an idol that they had for their God. And we're going to set it up as this sort of trophy in the temple of our God, Dagon. And of course they do. And, and the next day their God was bowed down. And so they set, they set it back up. And you read it at verse 3. The people of Ashdod rose early and there was Dagon fall on his face on the ground before the Lord. And the second time that happened, his, his head and his arms had, had been chopped or they were off. And, and, and in the ancient world, uh, in battle, when, when you had someone's head and arms, it was, it was proof. It was proof that you had conquered them, that you had defeated them. And, and so God is saying, rather than being a trophy in the temple of Dagon, he made Dagon, their God, an idol of their God, a trophy of his victory in its own territory. It didn't matter where God, where the Ark of the Covenant was, God was still God. He was the God, whether he was in, in Philistine territory or in Israelite territory. And he didn't need the people to be God. And I think we, we know that and believe that. But have you thought about the implications of that? That God doesn't, he doesn't need you to be God. And, and as a result, we don't need certain things to be a certain way to know God and to worship God and to depend on God. You know, maybe for you, I, I don't know your, your situation, but we celebrate Mother's Day today. And, uh, you know, Mother's Day is a mixed bag, isn't it? You know, some of us have our mothers with us and we, we were excited about that. Some of us have, have lost mothers. Some of us don't have good relationships with mothers, you know, and, and so it's just such a mixed bag. And, and, and that kind of stuff affects us as people. Parental relationships that aren't quite what they need to be sometimes can mess with us. And if we're not careful, we can, let, we can let that impact how we know God and understand God. But God is still God in spite of who your parents are and what they did right and what they did wrong. He's still God. And the Bible talks about how God is, 
both it uses father imagery and mother imagery, how God is, is a parent. And so I'd say to you, don't let your experiences influence who God can be to you. Even if you're not quite sure what a good parent is supposed to be like, God can be that to you. You know, sometimes God gets blamed for the places where we fall short, our weaknesses and our inabilities and our disabilities. And we're tempted to think that God can't possibly be who the Bible says because of this or because of that. But he is. and He's still God no matter what. His character is not dependent on us. And then the flip side of that is that God is not affected by other people. He's not affected by our experiences, but he's also not affected by other people. I read this crazy story that happened, a true story, in May 2016. This man in Israel actually tried to file a restraining order against God. He, he did. And, and he come to find out he called the police like ten times. And his complaint was that God was just unfair. You know, he didn't give any specifics or reasons. But God just had it out for him and God was mean and God had messed up his life and he was unfair. And, and so one of the police officers said jokingly, well, why don't you file a restraining order? And, and so he tried to. And, and the, the, I think the hearing lasted about three minutes. And, and the judge quickly saw that the man probably wasn't mentally all, all there. And so he dismissed the case. Uh, and so you know, that's, that's kind of a joke. We kind of laugh at it. But, but to think that someone really had something, had done something in their life that was so bad that they decided they just wanted to, to separate themselves from God. Now, people do that in our culture. Whether they do it on purpose or not, they separate themselves from God. And you know, maybe you've, you've heard my preaching enough to know that I'm not the kind of preacher that, that rails too much on the fact that, well, we don't have the Ten Commandments posted in front of the courthouse or, or we don't have school-sponsored prayer. Uh, not because I don't believe in the God that those things represent. Because I believe God is God. And, and He will be God. And He's not affected by the things that, that go like we want or they don't go like we want. He's not dependent on me to fight His battles. And so, you know, I think, I think for Israel, God actually was able to do what He wanted to do when they were to step back and say, Hey, we don't have, we don't have to do this for God. We don't have to be the ones that take up for God. And no matter what city the Philistines sought to move this ark, disaster and destruction was the result. And you read it verse 6. On your screen, the Lord, Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. And then they moved it. And you read in verse 9, after they moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city. Tumors affected the people. And Deuteronomy chapter 28, one of the things when, when the people sinned against God, didn't do what he wanted, God's people, he allowed tumors to infect them. And then you hear, you see him and these people that really don't belong to him. And that's what's happening to them. And, and, and the short of it is that God is being God. Wherever he's at, not dependent on, on the Israelites, but also not dependent on the Philistines. It's the same God. The Philistines were not allowed to define who God was. And we don't need to let other people and other things, especially our culture, define God to us. And there's no shortage of, of movies and of books and, uh, you know, of, you know, internet articles that will try and and kind of define God or, or, or question if God exists. And, you know, some Christians deal with this by, by sort of railing against the culture and maybe sheltering themselves from it and, and just saying, well, I'm just not going to engage with it. 
But I think if we really believe what Scripture, if we really believe that God is God no matter what, we should be the kind of people that can say, you know, I can, I can talk to someone that may, maybe is a complete, on the complete opposite side of where I am. It's maybe an atheist. Maybe they're militantly against Christians. I can engage with them and I can talk with them because I'm, I'm confident in who God is. You know, we live in a religious town and, and probably some of you think, well, well, everyone just kind of believes in God. But you can ask some of our youth, and there are youth, there are teenagers that, that don't. And it's not just they don't go to church, it's they really are against the idea of God. And I hope that they would feel encouraged and equipped to go and engage with them and talk with them and be their friend because they are confident in who God is, that He's God no matter what. He's not affected by others. And here's the third thing, though. We know that we don't affect God, we know that other people don't affect God, but the the truth is, God's character is going to be misunderstood. Culture is going to misunderstand who God is. No matter how well we try to articulate that, no matter how great we are explaining it, no matter how good Pastor Matt is at giving you a sermon to go and tell other people, people are just going to misunderstand. There's a, a, I read a story that, about the small Episcopal church in, in New York, and it's in one of those old buildings and uh, and it gets really cold there. And, and it's about this, this priest. That one priest retired and another priest came in and took over. And it was his first church. Uh, and, and, you know, even though it's a different tradition, I'm, I certainly am, am not an Episcopal. Uh, church, church, church work in some ways is kind of the same. And, and, and pastors and, and ministers and priests, the, the thing they have in common is they sort of know who their people are. They get their people. And, and when something is, is not quite right, it doesn't take someone that's super experienced to sort of sense that. And so the story goes, this, this priest sensed that something was just not right in his church. That his people were upset about something. And so he pulled aside someone that was really influential and that he could kind of talk to in a confidential manner. And he says, I, I just sense something is off with people and I'm not sure what it is. And, and he said, well, yeah, there is something wrong. And the truth is, it's, it's not necessarily something you're doing. As much as it is something that you're not doing. And he said, well, what could it possibly be? He, he said, it's, it's the way that you serve communion. And, and this new priest thought, well, I know I do this like I'm supposed to do it. I do it by the book. What, what could I not be doing? And, and, and he explained to him that our last priest, before he served the cup, you know, they all drink out of one cup. It's nasty. <laughs> he said, before he served the cup, he would go over and touch, you know, had these old metal radiators that heat the buildings in some of those old buildings. And he'd go over and touch the radiator. And he said, touch the radiator? That doesn't make any sense. And so he called the previous priest and, and, and he asked him, he said, oh yeah, that's part, that sort of became part of what I do. I go and I, and I touch the radiator to discharge static electricity so I don't shock people when I serve them from a metal cup. And here are these people that had this priest for 25 years that thought that this had some sort of special significance and communicated something about God in this holy ceremony. And it really had nothing to do with anything. And I see that happen in our biblical text as, as, as the ark is going into this place in, into Ekron. And the people see it and, and they're right in one way, but they're wrong in another. They're right in the fact when they say, I, we know what happened in those other cities. When, when the presence of God entered into our territory, bad things started happening. And we probably don't want this here. And they were right about that. But they were wrong about, I think, 
why they thought that would happen. In verse 10, the, the latter part's on your screen. As the ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought the ark of God of Israel around to us to kill us and our people. As if God had looked out and He said, you know, what I want to do, my goal, my agenda, is, is to go out and just kill a bunch of people. I mean, I mean, we know that the reason this happened is, is because of Israel's disobedience. God didn't set out to say, I just want to go kill a bunch of people. And you know, they were in a violent culture, and often the only way to communicate in that culture was through violence. Throughout history, Christians have sort of tried to save God's character. And I think we have two extremes of going to, to try and do that and explain difficult things in Scripture. And one is to say that, that God is sovereign and He causes everything that happens. Everything happens for a reason. And we don't always know those reasons. It's, it's a mystery. And, and so there are things we don't understand. But, but there's a reason for it and God is taking care of it. And that's one extreme. And I think the other extreme is to say, you know, God allows what we call free will. He allows people to make their own decisions. And they do things... And there are some things that happen that even God would not want to happen. But because he's allowed people to choose to do things in his sovereignty, bad things happen. And I think, you know, you probably can tell I lean towards that camp. But the thing is that the important truth really is neither one of those things. The important truth is that we know scripture says that God is a God of love. And there are difficult truths in the Bible. There are different passages and we don't always know we don't always can't have a reason for every one of them and we can't explain all of them and we look at the old testament and sometimes it's hard to, to understand the why and everything and so when we go to the new testament as testament as we end god's character is ultimately understood in christ if you want a full picture of god that's where we have to turn that's the next slide no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is Himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made Him known. That's John 1.18. There's a Methodist pastor, uh, the Clays studied some of his sermons, but he, he wrote a book called Making Sense of the Bible. And, and he, says, he says for him, and, and I don't know if I affirm this 100%, but it sort of helps, helps you think through this. He says there's three categories that he puts Scripture and he says, or buckets, he'll call them buckets to help us out. One bucket is, is the bucket where, where a good portion of Scripture is that, that expresses who God is as we know Him in Jesus. And, and it's those passages that talk about how God is, is loving and, and God wants everyone to know Him. And, and, and it stresses the importance of sharing the gospel and making disciples. And he says most Scriptures, a good number of them fit in that bucket. And then he said, there's, then there's bucket two. And he said, these scriptures express God's will and his desire, not for forever, but, but for a certain time period. And he said, the scripture is about the sacrifices. The scripture is about food laws in the Old Testament, circumcision, those fit in that bucket. And then he identifies a third bucket. He said, there's some scriptures that you read. And he says, and he's a Methodist, and so he's on this free will camp. He says, because of this, the, the choices that God allows people to make, there's some things that happen in Scripture that really don't express what God wants to happen at all, but what, for, for some reason, what, what had to happen in order for God's ultimate plan to be accomplished. And, and I think you include some of those things that we don't like to read about, like the genocide of, of the Canaanites and slavery, and even maybe some of the death and destruction we read about in today's passage. 
You know, the Baptist faith and message that our, our, our church holds to says uh, about the Bible, it says the criterion by which the Bible is interpreted is Jesus Christ. I had an Old Testament professor that that's, would, would kind of fuss at us when we would make the leap from the Old Testament to the New Testament too quickly without examining the context and what, what it really said. And he would say, no, you're sneaking Jesus through the back door. You've got to figure out what it says in the Old Testament before you get to the New Testament. And I understand his concern with, with not fully understanding the context in the Old Testament before jumping to Jesus. But when it comes to the character of God, it's not that I sneak Jesus through the back door. It's that Jesus is actually the front door. Jesus is actually the filter for me by which I read everything in the Bible and understand whether or not this is something that is, that is matching with God's complete and total character as I understand it in Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is Himself God. If you know Jesus, you know God. And, and part of the Bible's narrative of getting to Jesus does involve what we, what we read about today, about, about taking these people and, and walking with them and working with them and fashioning them. And, and they make some dumb decisions and it affects them negatively and it affects other people negatively. I've heard it said that, that if you read a passage in the Bible and you don't see God in it, it's very possible because, possible because it's not a picture of God. It's a picture of our sinful humanity. I think that's, that's true often. At the end of the day, in the midst of all the devastation that was brought upon the Philistines, when they played hot potato with the Ark of the Covenant, the thing to me is, that's so amazing is not what God did to the people, but who God was in spite of the people. God is God regardless of who we are and what we do, and He's ultimately understood in Jesus. And we hold those things together. And I think when you do that, you can, you, can, you can be free to be the person who Christ says we can be if we know Him. You can love people and you can minister to people who, who may not be anything like you. You can love people and you can minister to people who claim to be Christians and act like they're not. You, you don't have to worry about whether uh, the news is, is talking about something that... that reflects Christ in the culture because you can live in the culture and regardless of what the culture is, you can still be a Christian and it doesn't influence you because you know God is still God. And if you really get who God is as He has revealed Himself in Christ, there's a lot of junk. There's a lot of frustration that you can let go of and that you can be free to, to just embrace the God that, that is in Christ. There's a quote I read last week and I'm going to read the, the last part of it to you again. N.T. Wright says, If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama which has Him as the central character. And to me that means when you fully know God, you can fully be you. As God intends and as God desires. Let's pray together. God, that is our prayer. That we can be who we're supposed to be in Christ. And God, we know that, that things just happen. And, and we live in a world that is sinful and it's torn and it's messed up. And sometimes who you are is 
is veiled because of that. But we are so thankful for the picture of you and Jesus that we know you and can have a relationship with you and be connected to you. And God, help us not to lose sight of that this morning. Help us to, to hold on to that. No matter what frustration we're going through, no matter what unfair thing we might think is happening, God, remind us of who you are and let that remind us of who we can be for you, in you, and through you. Amen.